So I mentioned earlier, this is Christ the King Sunday. It is traditionally the last Sunday in what is called ordinary time, six-month period between the uh, holy season starting next week with Advent and going on into Christmastide and Epiphany and Lent and Easter and Pentecost. So it is, it is rich. And one of the things I appreciate about the Anglican tradition is its rhythm. But one of the potential... Uh, challenges or consequences of that is that things can seem a little routine in places. Oh, it's the end of ordinary time. It's Christ the King Sunday. And okay, uh, we, I remember Christ the King Sunday from last year. But the text that we have today that were read, do not let us have that sense of been there and done that. Let, let me just read the Daniel text. It is so, I mean, I'll just read it. As I looked, Thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool, his throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him, thousands upon thousands attended him, ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were open." It's hard to envision a more dramatic scene than what Daniel is talking about. This is indeed a prophetic vision, but it's one, of course, that we know comes to pass with Jesus fulfilling this. But right now, we're just introduced to the Ancient of Days, who we would call today God the Father. It is he, Ancient of Days means he who is before any days. That's literally the meaning of this. And he's taking his seat. There's a a judicial aspect to it. He's, he's acting as the king that he is. He is acting as the sovereign, as the ruler. And not only that, thousands upon thousands of the people of God are attending him. 10,000 times 10,000 are standing before him. The court was seated and the books were open. This is a dramatic scene, to be sure, and one that disturbs Daniel. We don't have time to really explore that. But he wants to know what's going on. And there's more, though. It continues. In my vision at night, Daniel says, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This scene just, it's, there's so much that's going on. The Ancient of Days is seated. The one who's like the Son of Man, who is Jesus, is coming to him. He's approaching him. And he's given by the Ancient of Days what is fitting for a king. He's given authority glory, and sovereign power. This really is a coronation. It is a coronation of the Son of Man whom we know as Jesus Christ. And with that coronation comes dominion that is not temporal but everlasting. It will not be just for a, a certain time, but it will instead never pass away. And nothing will prevail against it. It can never be destroyed There's, this is a world-ending, life-saving, justice-dealing coronation drama. 
And I want us to, as much as we can, be in, be in some of the meanings of this. I mean, we could spend an entire sermon series just trying to unpack this prophetic vision and what it means and revelation that we heard also read kind of picks up the theme of who Jesus is in this context as the one who's now been given the same authority. The authority that was given to him by God is now being exercised by him. But I just want to offer a few observations and then something to take away. I want to do that because it's easy to lose sight of some of the impact of what's being portrayed here. And so the first thing really that, that stands out is in what's being presented, there's no other kingdom. There's no other king. There's no other ruler that's being presented. This is the culmination of all that we know as world history. All the life that each of us have experienced to date, all the lives of others that we've read about, if we're historians or any kind of readers or people have told us about, all the future generations, as long as they're in this between time, between the time that Christ came the first time, went to his death on the cross, was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven and said, I will come back for you. I don't know the hour when that will be, but I will come back for you. In this in-between time is the time in which we live. But at some point, he will come back. And then this scene, this setting, this sense of judgment that Daniel is being allowed to see will become a reality. And there is no other kingdom on earth. There's no other reality that will triumph over this one. Uh, and therefore, there should be no other reality that even competes with this. We've heard, uh, if, if you're somewhat of a political reader or a cultural reader or you just read, you probably couldn't have failed to hear the phrase, the right side of history. It's used in the public square with a fair amount of regularity or has been in the past. And typically, it's a phrase that somebody who has a particular political movement is trying to say, our political movement is on the right side of history. Or this cultural moment is on the right side of history. And by that, they mean that what we believe in has momentum. That if you're not with us, you're against us. If you're not with us, then history will prove you wrong. Oftentimes, it's accompanied by a certain smugness. But it's an interesting phrase. And one that I think at some level, the level that we're being shown here, does not really... Um, it's, it's fundamentally temporal. And to be really on the right side of history, if you will, is to be belonging to he who is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. This is what Daniel's prophecy is presenting. This is who Jesus is presenting himself to be in Revelation. And it's important to realize that even during his ministry, he saw himself as a king. He says this in this dialogue with Pilate that we heard in the Gospel of John. Are you a king? He talked about the kingdom of God. So that king can be prophet, priest, and king is a formulation I'm sure many of you heard. These are ways to essentially unpack the idea of Messiah. All these do link and do go together. But really the first observation I have is when we talk about kingdom, when we talk about rule, when we talk about what will be ultimately triumphant, over all the concerns, all the ways that we understand life, it will be the kingdom of God. Who is that king? It will be Jesus himself, the resurrected Christ. There is no other kingdom. And so my hope, my desire, what I uh, 
teach, what I encourage, is that we would all continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, that we would stay on the right side of history, or if you prefer, the right side of his story of Jesus as Messiah. The second thing I see is that this kingdom that's being talked about, it's not just a future kingdom. Daniel's giving us a prophecy. Jesus is, is trying to encourage and exhort and correct the seven churches in Revelation. And he says, you know, he, he points to a future event. But the kingdom of God is not entirely future. It has, in fact, come in some nascent form now. It's been inaugurated already through the Lord's actions and now through us, his disciples. It's interesting in Revelation John introduces Jesus as first as the faithful witness because of his testimony of his life. And then as the firstborn among the dead because he was raised to life. And then this, the ruler over the nations. And that rule has already begun. There's a lot of theologians that have sort of jumped in on this and weighed in on this. I think N.T. Wright has a pretty good formulation for it. He wrote a book called How God Became King. And in it, he says, he talks about, the, he says the rule of and reign of Jesus has begun. What he says, this is an eschatology, this is end times, has already moved into our present time. The Lord is not just looking at his watch, metaphorically speaking, saying, well, you know, we're going to call time on this whole world experiment right now in this, in this earth that is corrupted and in need of, of restoration. No, he is actively through us, through his disciples in this time and this age, bringing new creation in, in early forms in embryonic ways and in some more infant and toddler ways to say this is what the new heaven and new earth is supposed to look like. This is the end times that's now been inaugurated already. We have uh, a way of, of thinking that the reign of the Lord is in future, that it's out there, that what we're truly about this time is just getting people from here to there. Just sharing our faith and allowing them to say, okay, I believe in the Lord. And then when he comes again, we who are here and who are believing will be with him there. But there's much more to that. This idea, Wright thinks that a lot of that thinking is more of a product of enlightenment thinking rather than gospel reading. And the enlightenment, the idea you know, 200 years ago is we can think this stuff out ourselves. We can critically look at scripture. We can use scientific method. They, those things clearly have their place. But the unfortunate byproduct of, of that was to separate this idea of the kingdom of God being here with all the blessings and benefits. So when the Lord says, I love you, how does somebody know that unless we're that vessel that says, I love you? When the Lord says, I forgive you, how does somebody experience that unless we're in that place of forgiveness? Unless we're that agent of forgiveness. When the Lord says, I care about justice and I care about mercy, how does somebody experience that unless we're actually the people who are doing the justice and the mercy? These are all ways that the kingdom of God that will be one marked by love, where there is no more ravages of sin, there is no more injustice, where mercy is, has been on display, where people are refreshed and renewed. That is the fullness of that, but people can get a, 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 an understanding, some taste of that, that is compelling to them. And that is our calling. So the Enlightenment said that, hey, it, that life in God was more spiritual than earthly. It was more tomorrow than today. And, and when we talk about Jesus being the ruler over nations, he's bringing that eventuality into today's reality. And we're the ones who are privileged to be able to do that. 
it gives our lives a clearer purpose beyond just sharing the gospel, but living it out and trusting that everything that we are doing out of a response to God, he is using to glorify himself and to reveal this new creation that will come into its fullness when the corruption from the fall is now put to an end at last. So it's not what Jesus as king means. It means not only that his is the only rule and reign that will be uh, paramount, but it also means that we have a role to play today in that. It's not just all future. It's started already. And third, that even though Christ comes as king, and there are thousands upon thousands who are worshiping him. And when we are with him, we will be worshiping. We worship today as a foretaste of that. We'll have communion in a little bit later, a little bit later as a foretaste of the supper of the lamb. We say that, I think, just about every week in preparation for this table. But it never gets old. So with all that beauty and all that blessing, nevertheless, the idea of Christ as king will be resisted. It was resisted in Jesus' day. It was resisted in Paul's day. The writers of the epistles, James and and Peter, uh, Jesus, all speak to persecution, to being resisted in some way, shape, or form. They experienced, you know, straight-up hostility. Some, eventually, all but one of the disciples was killed for his faith. The hostility we experience in this day and age, I think it looks a little different. It's not typically as sharp. It's, it doesn't mean it's not as malevolent, but it's a little more subtle in places. Um, the faith of, that we profess has its public critics. You know, there was a while, 10, 12, 20 years ago, where Dawkins and Hitchens came through and they talked about why they didn't believe and why Christianity didn't make sense. But I think the way that our, our friends, people in your street, colleagues you would have, the greatest way that I see, the most persistent way of resistance is more by distraction, by people saying there's something other than this gospel that you're talking about or you're living out that that captures my attention. There's something that gives my life more meaning than just that. Maybe I just don't really care. I can't be bothered. My life is going well. But we live in an age where we have any number of different ways to look at our lives. They're called narratives. We've got narratives and identity and all kinds of different ways to conceive of who we are, what our life is to be about, what our idea of salvation or the good life looks like. And if we didn't think we had enough already, you know, in just recent news, we've got tech companies working hard on creating the metaverse, which is loosely defined, according to one author, as an extensive online world where people interact via digital avatars. We're getting very proficient at distraction, very proficient at resistance of the only world, the only kingdom that truly matters, the only one that will ultimately prevail. And we are resisting the opportunity to connect with the only king that we will ever want to have. And so for me, that just continues to fuel my prayer life and fuel my sense of concern for those I love, and as I said, those on my block and those in my circle of friends that don't yet know the Lord's kingdom like this, don't yet know Christ the King, don't yet know Jesus like this. And so those are just a few observations. Let me just finish with a a takeaway. When we put all this together, the idea that it's the Lord's kingdom that will prevail, the idea that he's already started and that gives us great purpose, 
the idea that we're still resisted, even though we you know, are trying to work hard against that by being alongside of people and loving them and encouraging them and lifting up through word and action the love and, and compassion of Christ. We do that in countless ways. And with prayer, we say, Lord, reveal yourself to them. And so with all that, I think the, the real takeaway that I sit with is that, um, that God is clearly in charge. And if you think, remember nothing else as a takeaway, that is, that is the thing to take away. That God is in charge of every circumstance, every calling, every hour, if you will. We don't have to respond with sort of some anxiety of saying, oh Lord, what should I be doing now? You know, it's 525, what, are you, you know, what should I be doing between now and 530? It's more like, no, I'm, I'm in your presence, Lord. And so I know that even though what's going on at work right now might be a mystery, there's lots of politics going on, there's uh, some concerns I have about how I really fit into this given some of my beliefs, or not sure how to utilize the, the income that I've been given, where are my priorities? There can be a lot of mysteries in just trying to live faithfully uh, as a follower of Christ, as a member of his kingdom. But I want us to come away with the idea that we don't need to be anxious about that. That the king will let us know what he needs us to know in order to glorify him. And he will give us all the power and his presence, what we need in order to do that. Sometimes I feel like you know, I, when I get off track from that reality, it's because I'm just looking at the issues and challenges in front of me. And I'm forgetting that I'm actually in the world that the Heavenly Father has made, that His loving Son is, has rule and reign over. Sometimes I feel like a little toddler. If you ever know a toddler, when they wake up and they're looking for mom and there's no mom, in fact, the, the routine's broken. Maybe mom's just out in the garden getting something and he woke up early and... Uh, and if you've ever seen a toddler like that, they're really unhappy. It's like, where's mom? Sometimes I act like that. Sometimes I'm like, Lord, where are you in this situation? And he just reminds me, my spirit is in you. You're in a congregation of people that are traveling. You're traveling together. You're manifesting my fullness. I am here. So I don't know what, whatever concerns or cares or anxieties or resistance that you're experiencing or feeling. But know that the one that we honor today, Jesus, as Christ the King, has everything in his hand. All is well. All is in control. And if I don't understand that, if I don't feel that, that I just need him to minister to me. So what I don't want us to hear, I don't want to leave with the false impression that some horrendous thing that you're in the middle of means, hey, it's all okay, don't worry about it. It means that Jesus in the midst of that will give you the wisdom and the perspective and the presence. Sometimes the only prayer that we can pray is, Lord, have mercy. That's why in our prayers we say, Lord, have mercy. And then the response is, Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. It's a way of saying, and it's been a way for the early church for centuries to say, I don't know necessarily what to pray. I don't know all the things that you're up to. I don't know why I'm going through the things I'm going through. I'm not sure how long I can continue. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. But the confidence that comes with that prayer comes out of the place of the scriptures that we're in today, of Jesus being Christ, the King, the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the priest on our behalf, 
the one who goes before us, who, whose primary love for us is to, means that we will be among that group of thousands and thousands, of 10,000s times 10,000, gathered around the throne and worshiping him. It's someday that he's, he will bring that to pass. And in the meantime, we can celebrate and honor him. Christ our King, we love you, we serve you, we honor you. Amen. Thanks for being with us online in the Sermon Podcast. To find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley, head to www.holytrinitysv.org.